Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF podcast. In this episode, we speak to adoptive parent Eliza. She shares her experience of adoption with her partner and her experience of good support as she's trying to coordinate contact with a child's large sibling group who are all living in different permanency arrangements. As always, if you've experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through either the Facebook page, the Twitter page, or you can email us at anfpodcast.gmail.com. I am Eliza and I'm I'm 46 and we adopted, um, so my partner and I, who've, who've been together for uh, more than a quarter of a century, um, adopted a little boy uh, who was two and a half in 2018. And um, we had been on quite a long journey towards adoption. Uh, we It wasn't a fertility journey. Um, it was a bit of a, um, well, I think we'd made an, an a sort of more um, a decision either to adopt or not have children um, in terms of quite quite lots of different reasons. But 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 a, it had been quite that had been quite a long um, a long standing agreement. And I was actually living abroad in the late part of my thirties, and so I kind of came back, and then we started this adoption journey, and. Um, which throughout I thought wasn't really gonna happen for some reason, <laughs> just didn't think it was. I just thought, I'm 42, this, I'm not gonna be a parent. And there's lots going on and I'm, you know, and I'm kind of fairly comfortable and happy and, and the adoption process um, just seemed like an endless set of questions as to what, what would you do when, you're, when your child is screaming? What would you do when you're feeling depressed? What would you do? You know, and I just thought, I can't really relate to this. <laughs> and, we, you know, and, I, and most of the people on the course either were just, they just seem more, I say, committed <laughs> than us. And so, um, but we, we did get sort of nudged through and, and I was, I was committed. I, I, I really desperately wanted to be a parent, but I think I'm not someone who, um, who kind of necessarily expects to get what they want. So I, I just, you know, and then, um, we had quite a long process after the approval where, um, they had changed the system to a more of a, of a kind of link maker where we were expect, expected to be more proactive than we had when we had entered the process because there was a change in, in how they did it. And I think we weren't really prepared for that change. And I, I just uh, found link maker completely alienating. I couldn't go on it without getting a kind of PTSD looking at those profiles and just feeling awful. But we weren't actually able to be very proactive and we kept saying we'd just like to wait for the local authority to give us a child if there was one that was suitable and that didn't happen because we live in the area of town where we were always too close to the birth relatives <laughs> so um eventually uh, I had we had an amazing social worker who just sort of kicked us around the corner in the end and like basically did link link maker and yeah the very first child we were proactive about that she had found on LinkedIn was our child. And, um, and it just like 
rolled completely. Everyone was delighted. <laughs> you know, it was just uh, really straightforward and um, and really, you know, beautiful experience. To, and I and I couldn't believe that the that the government had given me a two year two year old and and I got to get off work and just like hang around in the park and just be happy and do stupid two-year-old things. Like, you know, it's really lovely experience for me. Um, and, and I think it's remained, you know, something that's really transformative for me and my partner and, and given us another 25 years, <laughs> you know, right. together, because I think we had yeah. done a long time. We had, we had done living apart, being apart, being together. We kind of done a lot of stuff, but I felt like, this has been so renewing and our and so funny and to see someone grow up you kind of live your life again so I've loved being a parent um uh but from my my I suppose from my child's point of view um one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and one of the reasons I, I do I'm I do listen to the podcast a lot is that um my my child has a lot of siblings <laughs> And we, we adopted her only him. And, and so I follow a lot of, um, a lot of the debates about should siblings stay together or not together, but that doesn't really seem to apply in a case where it's a huge sibling group. Um, and, and I think a lot about them and always have. Um, kind of grieve for them a little bit, and we have we do have contact with 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 one. Um, she's incredibly fraught. Although I think we've got to a really good place. It's just that we have been on a bit of a journey with it, mm. and the reason I thought it would be worth sharing is I imagine that there are other people out there, kind of on this journey. And about a year ago, um, I was thinking, anyway, a year ago, we were in a point where we had sent letters through Letterbox. And that had been working quite well because we'd been getting letters from older siblings who were in the care system. Um, and my child's social worker texted me and said, I'm about to go on maternity leave, but they didn't get through because they haven't got them. And so I knew you would send them and you haven't. And so, but, but follow up because it's all a mess. <laughs> yeah. So um, I started following up and I just, I just sort of couldn't get through. I think they were actually looking in the wrong office. Yeah. And so I have a, I have a friend who's a, who's a care leaver and he's from a large sibling group as well. And he, he's a bit, he's a bit, you know, unusual in some ways, but he, he works with care leavers and I said, what do I, what do we, you know, I, I'm, I, I feel my child's happiness and his longing for the tribe. He feels like he's been thrown out and I, and I, I don't really understand the, well, I, I understand the professional decision-making that took place prior to his adoption, but we're now in a universe where in four or five years time, we're going to, they're all going to be in touch. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it, and so we don't want to get to that point where we look like we've 
we've been kind of withholding something so and just I'm just I can't you know I rang I rang so I rang adoption support in our local authority saying because we, we are a different local authority and so I rang our local authority and a, and a very very nice social worker on the phone said you have to help him grieve um and I started to cry when she said that I was like oh and I think she misunderstood why I was crying. <laughs> she said something else, but I was like, and I just put on the phone. I thought, why would you fucking grieve? It's like stupid language. So why would you grieve for someone who's alive and well and like living in a couple of hours away? Like that just seems. I know. I know. We're told, you know, that our children have come from. The, I know that we can't rebuild what they have what they had and what they've lost. But it's just totally my, our little boy is saying something quite clear, which is he want, who people he wants to see. And to me that they as individuals, whatever their contact arrangements are, they are not, um, they're not um, dangerous or harmful necessarily. <laughs> Yeah. Talk to me in a year because we've so we've been on a bit of a journey since then. So I so he, so my friend said you should go to the care leavers council because they're made up of care leavers and you can just say so I so I went to the care leave I googled care leaver council from his local authority and and someone answered the, the, and I said you know there's a whole load of children and they're leaving they're losing touch with each other right now because you've mm. lost all their letters. And nobody can, after sort of six weeks of trying, I can't get anyone to ring me back or go and look for the letter. Uh, and so the, I had an email from Director of Children's Services the next day. So that was interesting how effectively that worked. He wrote back to me on Boxing Day. It was like, I'm going to have a meeting. You know, this is appalling. Yeah. <laughs> I may have slightly overshot, you know, in terms of my, my um, advocacy abilities. Um, so that seemed to, so within three days, they found the letters. So anybody out there with lost letters, but I don't know what these councils are, but they seem to be very effective. Um, so they found the letters, but we also then uh, kind of started a consultation with Adoption Connect. And um, we had a very different kind of social worker who's much, much like, could be one of my child siblings. It made me feel really old that anyone looks so young could be a really mayor on Skype. <laughs> Just like it could be a qualified human. Um, but she's been absolutely amazing. She immediately was like, Yeah, no, they, they all need to see each other, don't they? And I and I said, Well, throughout the adoption process, we said we were really open to contact and we were told it wasn't possible. Um and and then it sort of took six months to get an email back from the children's new social worker. Um, and then we've read, we've kind of run into a roadblock, which is that we're kind of trying to bring everyone along on our side of this enormous artificial yeah. wall. Yeah. So other adults, other children needed time to adjust. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for good reasons. And children who've had different experiences. Yeah and different priorities and, and different relationship to the whole edifice of the family. Mm. Um, but somehow in October, 
uh, we kind of said we've pressed pause once in the summer. Now we're going to press play. Um, wow. and amazingly, the other adults involved were like, yeah, okay. They're like, <laughs> it could, it could be kind of disastrous, but what, what has since happened is that we know that we're, that the foster carers of one of the siblings where we're going to start are really keen. Right. I feel really um, emotional about it. So we're going to have a meeting. We, as a couple, as adoptive parents, are going to have a meeting with them. And I, I cannot wait for the day when I can just cut social services out of the loop so I don't have to keep going through all these emails and people and backwards and forwards because I don't have, I don't have, you know, people can only share information um, according to the GDPR kind of agreement. Yeah. I don't have a right to know about my, my child's siblings and what they're up to and how they're getting on and whether they have a relationship with their parents, which could be fundamentally dangerous to my child. Um and, and I'm not allowed to know that. So we just like literally feel like we talk to someone in an outsourced agency who's actually been brilliant, but then has this kind of uh, job to do. Yeah. <laughs> Who get, get, getting through her hierarchy and then through the social, get back to the social. But the, and what I suppose I feel has been really the gap is, um, Someone like so, my child had really, really good professionals looking after him. He had a great yeah. family, father. he had a wonderful social worker. Um, he had a really nice IRO who chatted when it was all kind of contested. And you know, I had a long chat to her, she was at the review meeting. So, um, it wouldn't cost very, it would cost far less than it has to keep that IRO on for an annual check in with those kids yeah. to give us a phone call at once a year to give us the information in a in an appropriate way to say okay big huge sibling group um you know logistically it, it contact is going to be really complicated because they're everywhere yeah. and and there were really good reasons as far as i understand to 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 make it a separate thing. They, yeah. they, they weren't a group that could have been kept together. Um, they tried with certain configuration, but it, it well, a couple of configurations, but the, the, um, the impact of, of, of what had happened um, meant that the, the, the people who made that decision, not me, felt that they all needed their own family in the end. Hmm. Can I... Um... <clears throat> I mean, it's fascinating, <clears throat> excuse me, it's fascinating, you know, how this is all sort of transformed. But can I ask, prior, um, go right back to the beginning, prior mm. to sort of taking on your little boy and adopting your little boy, what had been your thoughts around sort of contact and ongoing family links? Had it even been in the frame or was it something that you were, that you'd been sort of... That's, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I had been a teacher, a primary school teacher, and a and a... What had um, inspired me to adopt, I think, rather than try and have our own family, um, was, a, was a couple of experiences with children who I had taught, either going into care and, and seeing that transformation 
to mm. the positive, you know, that just being looked after um, and what a difference that makes. And so I think I had been, I had from there and another child who had been, you know, the kind of case you see in the newspaper and, it, and he'd landed in my class from another county. Mm. That's and, really and, interesting. And, you know. Because so often we don't, we, coming into care is always seen as wholly negative. And, and of course, that is the, mm. you know, that, that is, the, it, is a neg- it is a negative. But then for you to have actually seen the tangible physical benefits for a child mm. is, is interesting, isn't it? Because that does feel like it's, a, you know, even you saying those words feels like, oh, that's, an, you don't hear that story very often, do you? I think it's really like, because we just talk it down all the time. So I so I had thought maybe we would we would foster and I thought and knowing what I had um what I knew about the sort of system and knowing us as a couple uh I thought we might be better suited to fostering uh but I also um didn't want to <laughs> because I didn't want to be I didn't want to not have control over the over the family in my life. I I I just don't. Having having been a teacher again as well, you've interacted quite. You, you sort of have a sense yeah. of what it's like. So what it's like to really love children. I loved all the children I taught. Um, I wasn't always the best teacher, but I loved them. You know, I did really. Um, they were very well. No, no, none of them really. So I kind of, you know, really thought the best of all of them but I thought but it, but you hand them on so you hold them in a certain place because you know they're not yours yeah and, and yeah. I suppose there was this other part of me that just wanted mine my child um and so that being said I think I hadn't well I hadn't thought about this whole hmm. thing except like you know we were only ever really probably going to adopt one child because I think that's what all all my one my partner was really yeah. up for as well I was like yes have you know but he he was just much more ambivalent and so um to be honest I couldn't work out how it was that was why I sat in the adoption process just thinking this is not actually going to happen because I just thought all of this this just sounds um so <laughs> intimidating and so um <laughs> Just mad. Yeah. Just sounds mad. I mean, letterbox contacts as a concept is quite insane. When it actually happens, and you you're you're sitting in the middle of lockdown, and and you get these letters from rather kind of beautiful teenagers, full of love. Um, yeah. It was a it's a bit of a boost, and that it actually you know it, it's okay. You know, you sort of see what the reality is, and how e- even small connects. Um, are really important or could be really positive but I think when you're at the beginning I just thought this sounds completely mad and completely Mm. awful I suppose I suppose what has taken me a long time to kind of sit with is just how awful it was I think when I I felt sort of really sorry for my child's parents or his wider family and I found that sympathy over the years has just dropped away because I my sympathies are with him and I think they damaged him and they harmed him. So 
I think yeah. fundamentally there's a kind of emotional shift away from just feeling like, oh my God, when we got him, I was like, how, how could you lose this beautiful, like this beautiful person, the, this like yeah. the pride of any, like to have just created him so wonderful as he is and then to, to lose him and have the state taken away. And, and I suppose what's happened is that I've, I've become more, more um, belligerent about my own child and what, you know, I, I do, but I, yeah. within that, you know, in his, 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 I suppose his, his needs have become more obvious to me. He's become bigger. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, no, that's interesting. You've articulated that really interestingly, sort of that empathy and compassion for them has ebbed away, but which you would then expect that the desire for contact would maybe go with it. But actually, in some ways, as you've focused in on your your son's needs, you've seen that actually the the con- contact is it benefits him. He, I mean, I want to be my child's friend, whether I'm a good parent or not. You know, I would like him to to think that we did the best we could, and if we don't sort this out now. He is not going to think that, and he and he shouldn't, because we'll have just been lazy, and it would be easy to do nothing. You know, it would be yeah. easy to go. Well, the care plan was set the way it was, but what does that mean? That means in when he's thirteen, he's going well, or ten, or how it. I, yeah. I don't really know already what he, exactly <laughs> what he's doing on the tablet. So, don't do that. I know exactly <laughs> what he's doing on the tablet. <laughs> But, you know, I know what you're saying. Don't worry. <laughs> he's going to find him. He's going to find them. He has a whether it or not. And and, uh, and I don't think any young person, any young person in the world, is going to say, "Oh, I think it was just better that you know <laughs> put that behind us." And not they yeah. might do when they're older. And I would like him to be. I think it's quite good that he does have family to retreat to and to say okay actually this is all really emotionally harmful but um i don't expect that he will so i would really like to start to get a handle on it and and i also think it could be massively positive or negative or both or just turbulent i you know i just don't know how the next year is going to go but um It's, it's but, you know, he's, if he's, I've told, we told him a while ago, you know, you want to see your older siblings. We want you to see your older siblings. We're trying. But it's the, take, I feel it's taken a long, long time. And the reality is that families are complicated. Well, regardless, families are complicated. And so we're not, it's not going to be this sort of peachy, Disney-esque recreation of family, is it? Can I ask you... Um, then your reflections on the system itself, you know, you, obviously you've you've in some ways been pushing upstream against a system that was designed to go one way and you're sort of saying, you know, we want to do something different. We want to do... And so have you actually... Have you, you you talked about some of the stuff, you, you know, obviously having to write a letter, which has got a fantastic response. Um, but what about the other professionals, you know, the post-adoption support? Has there been, you know, mixed views or what are people saying to you? So I, so I don't. So I think there is a split in social work about um, the importance of contact. Right. So I, th- I think you know the difference between 
say uh, the support we've had here, which has been really, um, really, really good. I mean, what I I kind of have rung in a really bad place in the summer and got a conversation with somebody who who really made me think differently about kind of sensory issues and um, has helped us, you know, so, so we're actually really good support. On the issue of do you kind of, do you open the door again to potentially really complex and um, drama-filled family politics, when you yeah. shut that door, to, to, to open it again, you are literally looking to the other side. It's like a, a void. I don't know. I don't know what the consequences of our actions are exactly. It could be a yeah. massive brouhaha at our school. Could be our address being shared around, you know, family members. I, so, um, so, so some people had told me like, you know, that could be disastrous, <laughs> and so. There's definitely one train of thought that says, um, and it's interesting because that's been from our local authority. Right. I actually think from his local authority through through the outsource agency, they are actually in a different place because they know the they know the situation. They actually have the information. Right. And so they seem to be quite more confident. <laughs> so don't know, or or just not. You know, but but so for instance, an ex- a concern was expressed. You know, how do we know this won't end up with someone knowing our address and blah blah blah? And we just kind of got a one-line email back saying the social worker doesn't. We'll tell the children not to ask their addresses. All right. Well, how do you do that? Because and it would like it'd be supervised contact. And I'm like, well, I I tell you, my child, he is going to walk into into any room and tell you his full name and address. <laughs> <laughs> and if if we were to tell him not to do that, he's much more likely to do it. So yeah. that's just you know he's a these um humans, and they think you know so then they have they they for whatever reason and it's quite hard to um you know my child was eighteen months when he left yeah so he's not he's but he has. This, but I, I would I would imagine as well if I if I was living and I was adopted I'd been to all this stuff and then I got these letters and they're these kind of quite cool looking um, you know and they 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 love me and 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 yeah. they're doing exciting things and um, you know that is a big and then other people at school are saying well I've got brothers and sisters do you have brothers and sisters. And he's like, and he made up a huge number, like I have 42 brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, so that just needs to be addressed. It's a big, and so I suppose in system terms, we think about risks of action, but we don't think about risks of inaction. I think you've brought yeah. up on your podcast before. To me, that's really, and I think there's just an information piece. Like his IRO knew the whole family. Yeah. I just don't see why she couldn't be hired for a day a year to find out what's going on and hold the family piece for the kids. Yeah. Instead of uh, hundreds of different adults with different, you know, and with different children and different concerns that, you know, doing exams or 
not getting on between one sibling or having contact with birth parents or not having contact with birth parents or you know so everyone is we're three years we're well we're four and a half years after or we're five years after the original care plan was made so where does it get when does it get updated you know are we literally sitting around waiting for our children to find each other on the internet is that really the solution from a system point of view to the kids getting together and going they're all assholes <laughs> yeah the professionals that is i mean yeah i, I yeah the, well and the and the parents you know right. we, it's yeah. I, just, I mean, it's it's a re- lots of really good questions, and I think, and you, you're not the only person. I speak to a lot of people, and a lot of people express that they're a lot of adoptive parents are very quietly pushing the system upstream. You know, they're 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 going against the flow, and I think that you know it's really interesting to hear your perspective and your experience as well. And we need a system that's retooled for this contemporary world, don't we? I would would love to get yeah. you back on, and we we'll maybe get part two and maybe part three. By the sounds of it, because you, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much, you Eliza. It's really been a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, I wish you well. And yeah, I'd love to know how you get on with your your arrangements. So you know, messages, and we'll um, we'll keep people updated because I think people are genuinely really interested in how this plays out for yeah. families. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye.